Welcome to Digital Transformation with Jack Marr and Jay Mata. Digital transformation is about so much more than technology. It's about refocusing on people and value. It's about leveraging technology to build more meaningful relationships and enabling and empowering our associates, building engagement and giving them the tools and opportunity to do what they do best and even do it better. It's about culture, relationships, and tools that can unlock customer obsession in an organization. It drives innovation and responsiveness that propels your organization and delights your stakeholders, creating and building relationships founded on value, creation, and delivery. So, Jay, after the pilot, we got a good response for this show, enough for us to continue on. And I got to tell you, I'm I'm really proud of the way this has turned out. And as I have touched base with many of the guests who are on the show with us, they're all pretty excited and pretty proud of what we've done here. So I'm really excited to roll this out. Hopefully, folks will find value and maybe even a little bit of entertainment along the way. I really enjoyed it. This was a little bit different experience for you, though. I know it's been a bit of a journey for you, and we've talked about before. That's one of the things I really love about doing this show with you is that you're coming on this journey with pretty interesting folks and uh, pretty interesting topics. What do you think about this journey so far? So I love it, man. And I tell you, the first go around of it, which is really the first season, (laughs) it was was really just really understanding what they were trying to say. I would say to you, for the most part, because of your help, if you were to talk to a lot of the guests that was on there, there was only a couple that probably really were able to break it down that anybody could really understand it. Most of the guests, they were very good. And I think if you absolutely knew what they were talking about with like scrums and and whatever, right? <laughs> whatever language it was, um, this was a good opportunity for them to be on the show to really be able to help them be able to break it down to more of a simplified level and not to talk about it as as if they're talking to one of their coworkers. So that was the experience I got it out of. And I mean, quite frankly, it's still a learning experience, but I am getting more and more. And it's definitely, definitely sharpens your saw. That's for sure. Absolutely. And you've been great, man. I love the way you break it down for the simple for us and help folks bridge that gap and tether us to the, the real world from time to time. And yeah, these folks were a bunch of legit thought leaders. I mean, every one of these folks is doing what we're talking about. And, and it's not just theoretical. They are doing this day in, day out, and really at the top of the game. So we were really happy and fortunate to have them with us. We've got 12 episodes. Each one, for the most part, has two different folks on it. But today is just us and then Jess. And then two per show so that we can really address some interesting topics from different perspectives. The combinations of the stories when Farouk was telling us about how he fell in love with music and what that's done to drive him to help fund music and art programs in schools. Uh, Guys like Brad Large, he's a Salesforce.com developer by day, and then he and his buddies do a pro bono for nonprofit organizations to help them get low-cost tools and do the implementations for nothing to really help them drive that. Or, you know, some of the other great conversations we had, I particularly enjoyed and and think there's a ton of value in Jason Holland's discussion about psychological safety and the things that we really Mm -hmm. need to do to make our associates be truly enabled and empowered and have the ability to do the things that will drive us to the next level. I I like and see, that was that was a great example of someone that really was able to break that down. 
And yeah. you, know, you, you really got an aha moment from him pretty quickly. This episode, the very first episode, Jeff Bodzo is going to be on here with us in just a few minutes. And he really gets down to how would you do this if you are responsible for connecting folks that have a need with their capabilities at a church or you have a pizza chain or a restaurant, what digital transformation looks like for you. So we're going to get into that here in just a second. Getting the right message to the right people can be hard and expensive, especially with Google AdWords and Facebook advertising. We can help you leverage LinkedIn with their best demographic data on the planet to laser focus people who are probably looking for you. We can help you or even do it all for you with a full range of profile and activity campaigns that bring results guaranteed. Click on the LinkedIn expert button below or reach out to us at standingonshouldersmedia.us. With that, let's talk to Jess. Welcome to Digital Transformation with Jack Marr and Jay Mata. Today, we've got Jess Bonzo with us to talk about open source software and how that's playing in today's marketplace. Thanks for joining us today, Jess. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I am really looking forward to the conversation around DevOps and, and all these exciting technologies. The empowerment of these technologies and how you don't have to be a multi-billion dollar organization spanning the globe that right. you know small restaurants and churches could feel like these technologies are within grasp. The types of technologies that are out there and how easy they are to get started with, things like that would be encouraged. Or speaking to open source as well, because I think that's a big deal. Uh, okay. 20 years ago, you know, somebody would have to build the software from scratch if they wanted it to work. And right. now you can just go find something that brilliant engineers, I mean, the type of people that are one in a thousand, a hundred of them work on a team at Microsoft, and they built something that you can use for free. It's, it's important to understand how within their grasp these things are, because the truth is, with a couple high schoolers that don't know how to code, you could probably do a lot of the same work that a multi-billion dollar bank does in the summer. Right, absolutely. And they may actually try some things that the other guys wouldn't have thought of just out of ignorance and, uh, you know, come up with something really cool. Exactly. And, and you know, I'm from a small town, and I had to move because I had a white-collar job. They don't, they don't exist back home. So, when we talk about empowerment, we're really talking about kind of correcting a mass migration that's leaving a lot of America deprived of, of young, talented graduates. I think there are some number of things changing right now that will help stem that flow over time. We look at the more distributed nature of work and the tools mm -hmm. that we have available, broadband capability, but less need to move into urban areas to have broadband access uh, and, and those kinds of capabilities. Or less capability to afford the urban areas. They make $80,000 more than I do per year. And these are guys in their 20s that don't have a wife, no children yet. And their quality of life is not that great because their housing is 4000 a month. And they don't have a kitchen. And they have to use the laundromat. And they can't afford the car insurance, so they don't have right. one. And so a lot of these these practices, you know, I, what, what I think is going to really happen is we're going to see this mass extinction event of a significant number of folks that work in offices today that either won't have an office to go to because of the way the organization is structured 
or won't even have that sort of a construct. We know a lot of folks that are living in this gig economy, and those folks don't always have just one client that comes and goes, right? There's a a handful that they juggle, and sometimes different jobs or different ways of generating revenue and feeding their families and putting a roof over their heads. Multiple streams of, of income are the future of folks. And it really goes along well with what we see of this dual lack of expectancy or loyalty of a long-term relationship between an organization and an individual. Right. The, uh, the millennial generation and, and subsequent don't have that baggage that the boomers and before had of this expectation of lifetime employment that I will be loyal to you and you will be good to me. And that has really blown up for a lot of folks. And we look going forward. One of the things that I've written about and, and I'm actually working on a project to create this ability for organizations to submit their requirements into this global marketplace. And anyone you know registers and, and is willing to provide the code that passes the automated testing will get paid for executing that work. There's no That's longer excellent. a need to have those folks sitting here. So we can retrain uh, former coal miners in Appalachia and they can be just as competitive. Or when it's winter in the Ukraine, the carpenter can be writing code for work day, do the value work, and get paid for it because it meets the requirements. Jess, you were talking earlier about the fact that, you know, this, this technology can apply to small businesses and, and churches and really kind of came across as if it wasn't doesn't necessarily have to be so intimidating. Can you give me a scope of that? So, like, let's say that small business owner church out there, that pizza place, that dry cleaner, whatever, like, how would they utilize and what, what would, would be the first stage of them utilize the types of work that you do? Yeah, this technology has been so democratized by the mass spread of the Internet and by the younger generation of coders, because what's happened is this culture of sharing code online. And so understanding what's available that won't cost you a dime is important. So you frame the problem. Let's say for a church, it's that you want to connect people in your church with resources that could help them. Well, to do that, you need to logically say, okay, I'm going to need a website. And do I really need an app? If I do, what would that look like? Would it be on the phone? Would this app be powering the back end for a website? And you just kind of start narrowing down from there. And when you reach questions you don't know the answer to, just don't underestimate the value of some Googling and the incredible value that people put on YouTube, sites like that. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's very accessible regardless of your technical literacy. So let's say I'm a pizza place, right? And I'm trying to just link capture my client base and say, hey, you know, I got the people calling in. What would be some of the, and I want to retain those customers so I can continue market to them. You know, I'm not a franchise. I'm an independent. You know, what would be some of the first things you would ask of me? We're going to have those small businesses that are listening in on the show. And so I think it'd be good for them. The better questions that they know what to ask, the more successful that conversation with someone like yourself can be. So what would be some of the questions you would ask right out of the gates when you when someone says, hey, I'm interested in this uh, digital technology. Tell, can you tell me more about that and how this can apply to my business? And then where would you go from there? Sure. Number one is who are your customers? Tell me about them. What do you know? And if you don't know, then I'm, I want you to find out. I want to know basic demos. How, how old are they? Because the way that a 55-year-old, 65-year-old interacts with a local business, especially somewhere they go to eat, it's very different from somebody who's 25 or 35, right? Right. A lot of younger people immediately go to their smartphone and Google around, or they use an app to have some guy they've never met drive over the food to them in his Prius. 
So right. if you're not on that app, you're kind of screwed. I mean, that could be a third of your revenue base you don't know you're missing out on because those people never walk in the door. Right, right. They're just searching for their food alternatives just from wherever's like within a mile or two range kind of thing or whatever. Exactly. Because if you know who your market is and you know who you're not serving or who you could serve better, then you can wrap that around back to this idea of I need an app, I need a website. Because what is that website going to get you? The visibility, right? Right. But to who? And you say, well, I don't know who my customers are. It's like, okay, let's start there. Okay. It's like printing a brochure. Yeah, exactly. So is it going to be when they, so they, they determine their customers a thing. Not, so someone like yourself, do you do the, then say, okay, hey, it looks like based on our conversation, you know, maybe a website for you. It may be, you know, how we're going to capture this. Uh, do you actually do the, the user interface for them? Is it your, is your part more on the coding side on the back end? Yeah, so I've played a lot of hats. I've been very blessed in my career to work a lot of different roles. And so I think that I've become more comfortable with that architecture part where you prescribe here's what we could probably do for you, and here is what the value add of that is. Because that's the struggle, is relating it back to the value add. So to say, we could make you a website, and people would be able to order and pick up from the website. Would that be valuable to you? And if the answer is a definite yes, then okay, let's talk numbers. Maybe we make a proof of concept, and then you see if that's something that you like the flow of, and then we talk money. And so then from there, you can extend it out, right? And so... I could find somebody or you could find somebody cheap on the Internet that would make you a website. But I would do the back end logic of, okay, they send an order. How does that end up in the kitchen so the guy cooking the omelets can see, oh, I just got an order online and it's got an order number and I know what time they're picking it up at? Those kinds of things. But it's not just that back end piece I would handle. It's kind of relating the parts to the whole so that you who may not know oh, the website isn't where all the logic lives. There's something somewhere else on the server, too. I could help you understand what that is and what technologies you would use to do that. And then you can make more intelligent choices about how to do it. Does that make sense? It, it, it does. And so your part of it would be more along the lines of when they do, when that traffic does go to your website, you know, how you actually take that customer instead of saying a browser, for example, you actually can have that customer turn into a buyer or that potential customer turn into a buyer versus just a browser. Right. Integrating it into the the nervous system of your business. Orders need to show up in your restaurant somehow. And, oh, by the way, we'll make a pretty chart that tells you how many sausage pizzas you sold last week. That might be useful information. Would you liken this to like almost like a funnel kind of scenario, like a sales funnel? Yeah. So I think it's path to purchase, right? It's creating the capability for other sources of income and then tying them back to that moment of purchase, because you're reinforcing that primary question, which is, who are my customers? So now you know you have a new customer, and you know exactly what they bought. And so you're not just funneling in more sales into your revenue. You're also getting a better sense of, who are my customers? When do they buy? What do they buy? And so the idea right. is you're creating this analytical capability, and that's what the big businesses do. They Got create it. this rich data, and then they ask questions of their data, and then they learn how to ask better questions. The ones that are really effective take it one step further. They use that data to create a relationship because they can now handle this sort of many-to-many relationship with all of the data that's flowing in both directions. So not only are we getting better data about what they want, when they want it, we're also then able to identify them. And as we begin to learn more about what their preferences are, we can use that information to create a better experience for them. 
to make sure that we always have the kinds of materials that we need for the kinds of orders that we're getting based on us understanding those customers better. Less waste, better customer satisfaction. Those are all parts of that better relationship that the digital experience really allows us to do, as well as you know, let them do it the way that they want to, as you mentioned. There's also another piece of this that is really interesting, and I think you've alluded to it, but I'd kind of like to, to put it on the table, and that is the availability of things like open source and other resources, because to your point, just having the code is not the whole solution. While you can get some amazing software in an open source that also allows a lot of amazing capabilities that just weren't part of the IT landscape 20 years ago, it also enables you to do it more securely. And I love blowing people's minds and talking about how they can be more secure with open source because that's exactly the opposite of what many of our senior leaders are thinking right now. Right. Jess, do you have ideal clients that your firm works with or you as the firm work with uh, that you look for? Like maybe, you know, I know you, we talked earlier about the pizzas and the churches, but is there really is there really an ideal solution or is it just anybody that's in that in that business that just needs to really collect that data and, you know, get a really clear understanding, like you said, of who that buyer is and what exactly are they buying? Yeah, I think for the people that I work for, it's really about the capabilities of who we keep on the payroll. So we're pretty flexible. And when we see an opportunity, it's about clarifying who is the customer, what is that opportunity. And to Jack's question about the open source, I consider myself very fortunate to work in this technology industry at this time because there's amazing software coming out of the big tech companies. And there are people that that's their baby. And they work on it for free. After they code all day, they go home and work on it for two or three hours, which is crazy to me. But I get to use that for free without restriction. So if I want to be able to crunch numbers with millions and millions of rows of data, somebody or a group of people around the world, more likely, they took 15 years to build that. And it's been battle tested at the biggest banks in the world. So why can't I use that at my company as well? And so we have less skin in it. You know what I mean? So if I understand mm-hmm. that your problem is one I can help you solve, I don't mm-hmm. have to worry that I don't know how to build a platform like that because there's 20 of them out there, battle-tested and proven, that I could just pull online. The other part, uh, aside from what you're saying, Jess, and you're absolutely right about the battle-tested stuff that's been out there forever, a lot of that is really changing as a result of the way the millennial generation and Gen Z have grown up, where you are always connected, always online, always transparent, very collaborative and very sharing, which is a dramatic change from the boomers and before where information was power and there were folks that really held tightly onto things. That collaborative spirit didn't work or at least wasn't prevalent. It might be a better way to say it before. This idea of associating yourself with the mission of the organization, it really speaks to engagement when you have folks that are acting and performing and behaving the way that you mentioned, that they're willing to spend that time because they believe in this bigger cause. And it's not about the almighty dollar, but doing the right thing and being part of something that's bigger than yourself. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think as technologists, the trap is that we focus on the technology and not on the business side. And on the opposite end, the business side is struggling to understand and keep up with the technology. So there's something in between where when we're transparent with each other and we're collaborating, you're learning more about the guts of the technologies, and I'm learning more about how business works in the real world. And so there's something even better about that fusion where we both grow. And so then that relationship develops into one that has so much momentum behind it, too. Which is what they call biz DevOps. We're all working together and collaborating in real time. 
as opposed to this transition that IT has gone through of being an order taker to being a trusted advisor. Now we need to be in the same room, like uh, on the bridge of a ship, because we need those capabilities to be available in real time. And we need to understand the opportunities and advantages that technology can bring to us today. We can't wait until next week or next month because markets don't move that slowly anymore. The other part that I like to talk about is that with open source capabilities, it also enables you to significantly improve your risk profile by at least understanding what are the issues with the software that you have. You can run vulnerability scanning. You can scan the code for coding standards and security by design, um, which you just can't do when you get a package solution most of the time, knowing what the code says, not just trusting a vendor. Definitely. And the other thing to keep in mind is when we talk about the big tech companies, they're under a lot of scrutiny right now around the privacy of the data and the security of their platforms, which means that the things you're using that they've built and put into the open source community have been rigorously audited by governments all over the world, by the Department of Defense, by so many different people. So it's not just that they're using them and they don't break, it's that They're using them, and they went through a six, eight, 12-month approval process where they verified the integrity of it. Now, you have to be careful, though, because this is open source, and anybody can contribute. So what was secure a month ago, you kind of have to keep an eye on because you don't know if tomorrow something bad will happen. And, And this does happen, right? People have these Chromecast devices in their TV, and they have these little consumer electronic devices, and all of a sudden, something goes wrong. There's a hack, there's malware, and that's because of the velocity of change in this ecosystem. So it is kind of a double-edged sword. On the one hand, you get this battle-tested, proven, vetted, secure software, but it may not be that in a week or a month or a year. So you've got to keep tabs on it and be aware of what's happening with those products. Fortunately, the same kinds of mechanisms that you alluded to earlier are working in the security space, too. There are folks that are watching and paying attention in those communities, and, and you know they've tightened down the vetting of folks that own uh, the different pieces. But there's also, from a technology perspective, I, I literally just today was learning more about a new company called Sneak. They provide testing that not only does it identify vulnerabilities, such as you referred to in, in open source, they not only scan software for known vulnerabilities, but they also fix it. A pretty interesting approach that as we find more and more vulnerabilities or or ways that the bad guys can get in, we also have a lot of young, smart folks that are figuring out better solutions that, that look different than the ones we've had in the past because the challenges are different. Right. It's that shift left. When you talk about the two sides of the business needing to be in constant communication, well, we're doing that with security. You have DevSecOps. We're doing that with testing. Now your QA guy is also your developer. So the feedback loops are tighter. You're bringing the pain forward, and you can make better decisions because you're getting feedback on your choices and your decisions much faster. And we faster. have data to work with, absolutely. Right. Uh, so thanks for joining us today, Jess. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with folks uh, before we let you go? I just think that it's important to remember that these big banks and these big companies are using the same things that these small companies can. And for me personally, Empowerment and enablement for the churches is something that I care a lot about, and I've got friends and and fellow technologists that they've just said, well, what could I do there? So seeing how that's worked, I would just encourage the technologists, the people that listen that maybe are a bit more tech savvy, 
to not underestimate the impact they can have to help other people. Because these technologies are not something you want to do from nine to five. These are something that you want to put in your back pocket and use as a tool every day to see how can you help your church? How can you help these other businesses? And what could we really do? And I, I just think it's exciting to consider the potential there. Awesome. Thank you very much, Jess. All right. Thanks, guys. Standing on Shoulders, a leader's guide to digital transformation, written by Jack Marr and Carmen Diardo. On behalf of everyone who tries to improve the business outcomes of the technology work we do every day, I applaud the efforts taken and the writing of this book so others can replicate their amazing outcomes. This book fulfills the promise of documenting their journeys and lessons learned and showing how the promise of creating world-class technology organizations can be within the reach of everyone. Gene Kim. Get your copy of Standing on Shoulders, A Leader's Guide to Digital Transformation at Amazon.com or at Barnes & Noble or at your favorite bookseller. Geez, Jack, that was something else. Jess did a really great job of really helping break this down for her. So that was pretty cool, man. I agree. Absolutely. I love that. This has been a great show. Thanks, Jay. I really appreciate this. And I know this is going to be fun. It already is fun. And it's definitely thought provoking. You know, when I'm entering doing the show with you, knowing absolutely nothing of what you do, for me, it's just taking that strategy of how, in my opinion, the brain expands the way it needs to is by taking on these topics that you're not aware of and really just get you to just, again, expand your mind, expand your brain. And really, I think it sharpens the saw quite well, you know? I agree. And you've done a great job coming along with us and and helping us keep it grounded. Thanks, Jay. And thank you to all of you for sharing this with us. Um, We'll see you again here real soon.